our sinful patterns, that in our own power, our lives are unmanageable. Then we discussed the truth that we must believe that God is the one who has power to restore us. Those are the pieces. But we're missing a piece. You see, there are many people who believe that God is the one who has the power to restore things. They do. But they're still lost in their sins and they've never experienced God's restorative power. Belief that there is God is not enough. It is not. You might have watched the sermon last week and we discussed that a little bit, or you were here for our family Christmas where we just tipped our toe in this verse in James chapter 2, verse 19. James writes, you believe there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and they shudder. The demons believe in God. They believe there's a God. They believe that there's a God who is all-powerful. They believe there's a God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for sins. They believe that God is able to bring salvation. They believe all these things that are correctly about God, and they shudder because of that belief, because they know that they are doomed to hell for all of eternity. The belief that there is a God, the belief in the character of God, does nothing for one's eternal state. There is a peace that is missing. There must be a decision to trust God with our lives and wills by accepting the grace through Jesus Christ. There must be that decision. Let's pray before we jump in. Father, Lord, we are broken, sinful, miserable creatures who are powerless without you, stuck in our sins and our depravity and our faulty priorities. And we need you. We confess that today. We need you today. And you is all that we are looking for. You are the most lovely, beautiful thing in the world. But so often we turn away from you into all these shiny, disposable things. Forgive us of that. Remind us what it means to run after you and to confess that you alone are our king. You alone are our savior. You alone, in you alone do we trust. Lord, I pray for anyone here who's never made that decision, but they're still stuck in an academic belief or faulty understanding and they've never made the decision to trust in you as their savior. And I pray today you would quicken their hearts that they would want that and they would reach out and grasp the gift that you freely give. And Father, for those of us who have made that decision, I pray that today as we study your word, we would remind it, be reminded of it, that we wouldn't grow callous and cold to the amazing truth of our salvation, but that every day, every day would be flooded by the amazingness of it. Lord, may we not be people who are apathetic, but may we be people who turn to you as our only hope every single day because of what you did, what you proved 2,000 years ago. As I'm up here, Lord, I ask that I would decrease and that you would increase. 
And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. Let's take some steps back and let's discuss the truth about us. We have to lay a foundation again of who we are. Paul writes in our text, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 5. He says, But because of God's great mercy for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. Paul writes simply in this verse that we are dead in our transgressions. What does that mean? Well, first, what does transgression mean? It's another name for sin, but slightly nuanced. Sin means to miss the mark. It's used a lot in archery at this time, where someone is aiming for a certain spot and they miss it. Sin is the general term for anything that falls short of the glory of God, whether it's something that's intentionally done or unintentionally done. Paul defines it for us in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, for all have sinned. What's the definition? That they have fallen short of the glory of God. God calls us to live a certain way. There is a mark we are to reach, and that mark is the glory of God. But we fall short of that. We sin. Transgression is tied with the word trespass, as in trespassing. There are certain lands that have a sign that says, you shall not trespass. In fact, there's a sign here in Neely. I always drive by and I see that sign on this property on a hill. And I'm like, oh, I really just want to like put my foot over that line just because I'm a sinful human being. So trespass means you cross a boundary transgression is you intentionally cross that boundary. You say, yes, I know that there is a line there and I don't care. I'm going to put my foot across because it's just so much fun. I'm going to do it. I am. So, and you got to use that voice when you do it. Transgression is a presumptuous sin. More nuance. Sin, missing the mark. Transgression, you intentionally do it. Because God, this is what I want. I appreciate John Piper's discussion of sin. John Piper says, what is sin? It is the glory of God, not honored. It is the holiness of God, not reverenced. The greatness of God, not admired. The power of God, not praised. The truth of God, not sought. The wisdom of God, not esteemed. The beauty of God, not treasured. The goodness of God, not savored. The faithfulness of God not trusted, the commandments of God not obeyed, the justice of God not respected, the wrath of God not feared, the grace of God not cherished, the presence of God not prized, the person of God not loved. That is sin. Paul says that we are dead in our transgressions. We all have transgressed. Transgressed? We all have transgressed. And we are dead in that. What does it mean that we are dead? Well, tipping in my hat in respect to the medical community and their definition of death, I'm not going to give it today. I'm going to give the spiritual and metaphysical definition of death. Death is separation. Separation. When the spirit leaves the body, death happens. It is a separation. Physical death is when the spirit leaves the body. Well, 
our sin, our transgressions, separate us from the holy God. He can't have anything unholy around him. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. God is the giver and the creator of life. So since sin separates us from him, the giver of life, that means we are dead spiritually because we are separated from that which gives life. We can't come near it. We are stuck in the cold. Separation. Now, can someone who is dead do anything to change their situation? Can they? No, I don't want to be crass. So forgive me if I cross a line here. But I've stood up here way too often with a coffin here and never will I ever, no matter how many times I stand up here and no matter how many times I wish it would happen, never will anyone sit up from that coffin and say, I'm tired of being dead. I'm going to come back to life now. It's not going to happen because they can't. Once someone is dead, when they are separated from that which is life, they can't come back. It is impossible. If we are spiritually dead, that means we are spiritually incapable of changing our position. We are lying cold in a spiritual morgue waiting to be shipped off to a mass grave in hell because we are separated from life and there is nothing we can do about it. Why is there nothing we can do about it? Because we are powerless over our addictions, our brokenness, or sinful powers. We are dead in our transgressions. In our power, own power, our lives are unmanageable. We cannot change it. We are stuck in our state and we are stuck in that state since the day we were born. Dead in our transgressions. Is that depressing? Yeah, so let's talk about something else. Let's turn our eyes from the sinfulness of this world to the perfection of God. Let's lay a foundation again on who God is. Let's step with Isaiah in, his, in the courtroom of God. It's a longer passage. I can't put it on the screen. So you can listen. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Isaiah 6, 1 to 5. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord high exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were the seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah cries, Woe to me! I am ruined! For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty, the creator of the universe, the one who was, who is, and who will always be, the one who is complete holiness, complete perfection, nothing out of place, nothing wrong. Truthfully, what Isaiah sees, we cannot fathom. We can't, because we are stuck in this world 
surrounded by brokenness and sin. We don't understand a being that is so completely unbroken, so perfect, so holy. We can't understand him, but this is our God. So holy that at his presence, everything that is physical shakes at his holiness. That's why Isaiah sees. Isaiah sees him and he fears for his life. He doesn't actually see God. He just sees a manifestation of God's presence. And just that manifestation calls him to fall on his face and say, I am dead because I'm a sinner. This is our God. C.S. Lewis says, he is not a tame lion. No, in fact, the author of Hebrews writes this, for we know him who says, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. The creator and sustainer of the universe, he is a standard um, that we are to keep, a mark that we are to push for. And it's a standard that we are all aware of. Ecclesiastes writes this in chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in our heart. He has given us an understanding of what is right, what is true, what is godly. We know, he's given us the ability to know that God is the creator and stands holding the key to love, joy, peace. We know that everything we've ever wanted in him, there is, as one person said, that there is a God-shaped hole in every person's heart that we keep trying to fill with, with all these sorts of other stuff, but only God can fill it because he is the one who has the power to create. He is the one who has the power to restore. He is the one who has the power to bring order out of chaos as he's done since the beginning of time as we talked about last week. He is the holy God who says, I am everything you need. It is me. Well, after staring at God, we can't help but look at ourselves, remember ourselves and our doom. You see, being separated from God, we are dead in our transgressions, as we said. He, the powerful God who created all things, he is the one who provides life. He is the one who provides goodness. He is the one who provides hope, peace. All the things that our heart yearns for, God says, I'm it. In this world, as we live it, we get tastes of it. The Hebrews call it moments of shalom, peace from God that he graciously bestows upon everyone who lives in this world as he interacts with us, bringing about his great plan. We get tastes of who he is, and those tastes, oh, they are so good, but they merely just remind us that we're not with him and we can never be. They keep tickling that God-shaped hole when God says, will you just put me in it? Paul writes this, the wages of sin is death. We can't be with him. Even though we get those tastes, we have that hole. There is a yearning for him, but we can't be there because there is a chasm between us and God, a chasm that we can't cross, a chasm that is impossible for us to cross, literally impossible. God in his perfection, in his holiness, in his goodness, in his beauty is way over there, and we are over here in our brokenness, in our addictions, in our sinful patterns that we repeat over and over and over again, patterns that we're doomed to repeat over and over again without hope of stopping until finally we die, we're placed into a coffin, lowered into the grave, and then we'll have peace. Yes? No. Because after
after death. Then comes the judgment. Hebrews writes this, the author of Hebrews, just as people are destined to die once, after that they face the judgment. And what is that judgment going to look like? Well, John writes this in Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, verses 11 to 15. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. There's a judgment that is coming. And the result of that judgment is an eternity in the lake of fire because of our actions. And at that time, everyone who is led from the throne of God to the lake of fire, they will all say that that judgment is just. No one is going to go there kicking and screaming, saying, but God! They will all say, because every single one of them will have fallen on their face and declared Jesus Christ as Lord and said, yes, I realize you are the one I should have served, and I did not, and this judgment is just. I deserve it because I lived my life apart from the holiness of God. The only way to escape that judgment, Scripture says, is by having our names written in that book of life. But remember, we are separated from life because we are separated from God. There is no way that we can have our names written in that book of life because we are dead in our transgressions and sins. We can't place our names there. We can't work our names there. We cannot pray our names there. There's nothing we can do to put our names there. So yes, in a word, we as humanity are doomed. Doomed. But God. But God. Ephesians chapter 2, what our text said. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we are dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. God created us to have a relationship with him. We broke that relationship because of our sin. Every day, intentionally, unintentionally, we break that relationship every single day because we sin. And we reap the, bro- the result of that broken relationship as we live in the chaos of this life. But God wanted to have a relationship with him. So he decided to create a way for us to have that relationship again. Because of his love for us, we were dead, but God made us alive with Christ. That was the plan he set in motion back at the beginning of time after Adam and Eve sinned that first time eating the fruit. He planned that everything that would be wrong in this world, all the brokenness because of this sin would be made right again. Because that is the natural result of God stepping back into a relationship with his creation. That is what he does. He brings order out of chaos. He brings restoration to that which is broken. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus, the eternally begotten Son of God, very God of very God, became man, being born of a virgin, yet 
like us, yet without sin. And he lived a perfect life, proving who, who he was, time and time again, through his actions, his words, his miracles. Everyone who was there knew there was something different about this guy. He fulfilled myriads of prophecies and pointed people to the way to have a relationship with Father in heaven over and over and over again. And in the fullness of time, when God said, yes, this is it, he died on the cross. But he didn't just die on the cross. No. Scripture says that in the moment of death, he took our sins on himself. Peter writes this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. So that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So in him, we might become the righteousness of God. His death paid the penalty for all our sins. And what is the result of that? Well, if our sins are paid for, they're gone. That means we're not separated from God anymore. Paul writes, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're brought back into life. That separation where we're in death and life is over there, we are brought back to life for all of eternity. Paul writes in Ephesians 2, our text, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you've been saved, the grace of God. He loved us and knew that we were powerless, that we could do nothing to change our state. We could do nothing to be brought back into a relationship with him, so he provided a way through Jesus Christ. And Jesus did everything for that. His act is complete. Paul writes in Romans chapter 6, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. God's amazing love. God's amazing love. So what are we going to do about it? What is our response? As I said at the beginning of the sermon, Everything I have said up to this point, the demons believe. They know that all this stuff is true, and they shudder, and they will spend eternity in hell believing and knowing all these things is true. There's something that is required of us. Now, I have to speak very carefully. We cannot earn the gift that Christ gave by dying on the cross. The amazing salvation that Jesus offers us cannot be earned. As we said at the beginning of the sermon, we are powerless to change anything about ourselves. We're powerless to change our condition. We cannot work our way into the salvation because we are powerless. We are dead. That's why Jesus died, because he has the power. Anyone who says that we must earn forgiveness from God is piling up judgment from God because they are taking the clear words of Scripture and twisting them and preaching a lie. No, we cannot work our way into God's favor. Jesus did it all. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. 
We cannot work our way into God's favor. We cannot work our way to earn salvation, but we must make the choice ourselves to trust Jesus. We must state that we believe he is who he said he is, that he is the son of God come to die on the cross for our sins, and that his death is enough. We must believe that, and we must make the choice to put our trust in him. There are plenty of people who believe there is a God, and they believe in God, and they believe that Jesus came, and he was a great guy, possibly even God himself, maybe not sure. They believe that Jesus died, but they've never trusted him for their salvation. They've never made that choice. There's there's never been a drawn-the-line moment where they say, yes, I believe, and Jesus, I fall on my face and say, you are my only hope. Save me, because I can't do it myself. They push it off, these people. And they say, you know, I don't want to do it right now. I got, I got, I got more time. Or I want to live my life. Or this, that, or whatever excuse they give. And, and even though they're living, they are spiritually dead, separated from God, not having that relationship that he offers that brings peace, joy, hope, and joy, that all these things that we yearn for. There must be a decision to trust Jesus with our lives and wills by accepting his grace through Jesus Christ. Must be that decision. We must turn to Jesus and say, I believe and I trust you alone for my salvation. And if that's the case, I trust you with my life, my will. I accept your grace through Jesus Christ. We must make that decision. It must be a decision we make for ourselves. It can't be a decision that someone has made for us. This can't be a time where we say words that we are forced to say because it is expected of us. We must come to a point for ourselves, not look back and say someone did it for us. The time we say, for ourselves, I need you, Jesus, save me. Has there been a time in your life where you've drawn that line in the sand and you've received the gift that Jesus Christ holds out and says, just take it? Have you decided to trust Jesus with your life and your will by accepting his grace? Until you do, you will never experience the freedom that Christ offers. The freedom that comes from life, the freedom that is the release of the shackles of chains and slavery of our sins and addictions. It won't happen. You might experience a little bit, but you just turn to another thing. And then another thing. Turn to Jesus today. May today be the day of salvation. If you have made the decision in the past, you have life. It is yours. You have freedom. Celebrate it every day. And praise God that today is a day of living in freedom. Even as we celebrate it today through communion. If you want to know more about what I've talked about, if that God-shaped hole in your heart is aching and you want to know what it means to trust Jesus talk to someone today may today not go by without making that decision if you wonder if you've made the decision in the past talk to someone may today not go by until you've said yes I know I'm a follower of Jesus Christ I have a personal relationship with him that lasts for all of eternity and I'm experiencing his peace his joy his love his goodness May today not go by. If I have to not eat for the next two hours because people are talking to me about salvation, I will starve willingly. 
Let's talk. May today be the day. Today is the day we also get to celebrate his amazing gift. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he took a bread, and when he'd given thanks,